0: listening to The Dirt on the Past, a show on history and archaeology and why it matters today. You can find us on the Extreme History Project website and also on kgbm.org. Thanks for listening. Welcome to The Dirt on the Past from the Extreme History Project and KGBM Community Radio. Whether
1: digging up a site or dusting off the archives. We bring you some of the most fascinating and cutting-edge research in history and archeology, span and discuss why it matters today. Join me, Nancy Mahoney, alongside co-host Crystal Alegria
0: as we converse with anthropologists, archeologists, and historians about how they bring the past alive.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of the show. I'm Nancy. And I'm Crystal. And we are co-hosts of The Dirt on the Past. This week, we are at the KGLT Studios on MSU's campus, speaking in person with Sarah Rosenberg about her job as a historic preservation officer for the city of Bozeman. We are excited to talk with Sarah, but first, Crystal, how was your week? Checking in.
0: Well, good week, good week. It's been a really busy week because Yesterday, I went up to Helena. That's right, Helena, Montana, which is our state capital, and did testimony for the creation of Indigenous Peoples Day. So it was oh, a it was that's um, right because they're, they're in the legislature's in session. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Good for so you. it was Senate Bill One Forty One, and we are we were proponents of creating Indigenous Peoples Day here in Montana. In replacement of Columbus Day, and so many states have done this, many towns have done this. Right. Um, Bozeman, Montana, has officially done this mm-hmm. as well, and we have Indigenous Peoples Day. And so there was, it was, it was great testimony um, from I, I would say. 40 50 60 wow. people wow. and um, in front of the Education committee so so that was a great day of testifying for this very important bill we hope it passes mm-hmm. we hope it gets out of committee and then it'll go to um, the Senate I think I'm not sure yeah. how the yeah. whole process that works exactly okay good, works. good so um, so that you know I've been thinking about that a lot this week and then did it and so it's kind of still um, up front in my head right now yeah. <laughs> but so that's kinda what has been going on with me but what about you Nancy what's going on with you this week yeah. and in the last
1: couple weeks yeah cuz it's been a while since we've yeah. done a podcast yeah. and i'm excited to get back to it and i'm excited to be in this new studio environment where we have a little bit of an upgraded professional recording system going on that we hope we are going to be worthy of. Yeah, um, so
0: talk, talk about tell, tell everybody where we're at right now. What yeah,
1: these fun? studios on MSU's campus we've always been wanting to break in here and do our podcast here. <laughs> so we no longer have to just do it into our little makeshift microphones yeah. in a room, you know, downtown where anyone might walk in at any moment and make some noise.
0: And they often they often do. <laughs> exactly.
1: So this this feels good and we feel like we have some professional editing. so we're super excited and we're we're hoping to do a little bit more programming even. So more on that later. It's been a crazy busy week for me, as you know, because on Saturday, um, my stores, Mocha Boutique and Alloy downtown jointly held the Mix fashion show. So the first ever all gender fashion show. (laughs) and It was so good. Everybody, yeah, everybody um, who came forward to model. We had 50 people volunteer, we could only take 25, but um, the whole range of people from straight, to queer, to cisgender, to non-binary, and everything in between. And the models were really the focus of it rather than a designer. So they came in. We styled everybody with two looks each, so there were 50 looks. And then we pulled off this fashion show which you were at on Saturday night. it was fun. And everybody seemed to have a great time and are asking us when we could do it again. The proceeds benefited Queer Bozeman, and they were really pleased with how the event came off. So we are thrilled with that, but a bit exhausted. But I next bet. time, <laughs> now that we've been through it once, it'll it'll be a lot easier to pull off the next time. But everyone seemed to have a great time. So that was huge. Well,
0: congratulations, Nancy. That was so wonderful. It was great. I've never been to a fashion show before. And that was an awesome first experience at a fashion show. I mean, it was just wonderful. And the crowd was so into it. It was just like a, a it was just a big. Fun dance party. That at the was end. <laughs>
1: the best part. The crowd was so into it. I think yeah. a lot of people were curious about it. Some people brought their kids, their little kids, who were all Aww. dressed up. Um, everybody danced, got on the, the the runway afterwards, and it was just a, a really nice uh, celebration. And yeah. everybody, I think, it felt very included and supported, and, and that was really lovely. Yeah. So um, that's what's going on. Last week and this week coming up, I head to Vegas uh, to do some buying for the stores with some of my staff. and uh, That'll be fun. It's a little bit warmer there, so I'm looking forward (laughs) to that. You're
0: going to leave the snow and cold. (laughs) I don't
1: mind the snow and cold. It's the ice. It's the treacherous ice when I have to Go to my car when it's parked downtown. It's yeah. like a foot thick, I feel yeah. like, in some places. But anyway, enough of that, right? We need to get back to our guest.
0: We do. We, we do. We are so glad to have you with us today, Sarah. Welcome. Welcome. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. I really enjoy your podcast. Oh, good.
1: Wonderful. Um, so I want to start off by telling our listeners a little bit about you. Sarah Rosenberg is the historic preservation officer for the city of Bozeman. She joined the city in 2017 as a development review planner, but has since taken over managing the Historic Preservation Program. Prior to working in Bozeman, she worked for several municipalities in Colorado. Sarah holds a Master's of Science in Historic Preservation and a Master in Urban and Regional Planning from the University of Colorado, Denver. Since taking over the Historic Preservation Program for the City of Bozeman, Sarah has sought to evolve preservation policies and the program. She's working diligently to tell the stories of underrepresented communities and promote the protection of intangible heritage. This coming year, Sarah will be working with a consultant to rebrand the program by looking deeper at community values and how traditional preservation policies can actually be exclusionary and inequitable. She'll be looking into the community for input and engagement over the next 18 months. And when Sarah isn't questioning how to evolve the preservation <laughs> program and expand the narratives because, let's face it, that can't be your whole entire life, 24-7, Sarah can be found adventuring with her wife and dog, tending to their backyard, and cooking delicious meals. Ooh, I'm excited to know you. Welcome, Sarah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you. And I'm, I'm so glad I do know you, Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> and and um, I just the reason that I wanted to bring you on the podcast today to talk with us is just because I love your energy and I love your enthusiasm and I love your vision for historic preservation. And I think we share a lot of similar ideas yes, in that we vein. Do. So, so um, I'm so excited to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, I wanted to kind of backtrack a little bit and ask you um, about how you got into this mm-hmm. work. How did you get into historic preservation? What kind of brought you into the past yeah. in that way? So,
2: yes, very, very happy to be here. Uh, If I had to like pinpoint a time in my life when I fell in love with architecture and historic buildings, it was I was on a trip uh, to Europe when I was 14 years old with my mom and just the setting of those places we went to the Netherlands and to France Mm
1: -hmm. and
2: that was just the first time I was really ever exposed Mm -hmm. to seeing just these Mm -hmm. grand places. I grew up in a very small rural town in western Michigan and so that was just and didn't really go a lot outside of there so it was just uh, my eyes and my mind was blown. Uh, And then I while I was there I just remember like learning about yeah the stories and what the buildings and how they evolved over time. And so by the time I got to college I had chosen a uh interior design as my major. Oh fantastic. Yeah, and was exposed to histor- historic preservation as being a field while I was in that program. Uh but I didn't really have a grasp on that like that could exist. I was just I mean, when you're 18 years old, yeah, you just kinda... who knows what you do. Know. Right, there's a lot to learn. Right, uh, and uh, initially, I really wanted to use my interior design degree to do adaptive reuse. That was okay. where I really was putting uh, my energies on. But the more I learned about historic preservation and uh, neighborhood development, the more I knew I wanted to go to grad school and continue my education with this. Uh, But it also didn't help that I graduated shortly after the recession and working Mm. in the architecture and design field was
0: hard to come. Yeah,
2: Yeah. it was not an easy place to try to find a job. So I I took a year off and then I went to grad school at University of Colorado Denver and Mm. started the Master of Science in Historic Preservation program. And it was in that first semester, Uh, I had this fantastic class, and it was a historic preservation class, but the college I went to was the College of Architecture and Planning. Mm -hmm. So I was involved with the the grad um, architect and planning ones, and that was when I was exposed to the planning program. And I had a group project that I learned from a couple of them of just like what planning is. I didn't really know what planning was. I knew what cities were. I knew how that walking around towns meant something, but yeah, I didn't really right. know like the the theories or the methods or anything about planning. Uh, so the those correlation between preservation and planning just really seemed like ho- took a grasp on me. So I added the degree onto mm. it because I was um, realized it would open up a lot more opportunities to different types of jobs, and I, I, uh, yeah, different types of jobs. But I didn't really know what type of place I would work for when I graduated. Uh, But because of my student loans, I was (laughs) (laughs) drawn... Yeah, had to figure that out quickly. Yeah, because of my student loans, I was drawn to working for the government yeah. and like local government because of the public student loan forgiveness program. Oh, so fantastic. that pretty much just drove me right into that. Okay. Right, and that's how they
1: suck you in, Sarah. Yeah, I know but then right, Forest <laughs> Service, BLM, they all do it. I what know. was really scary
2: it was when the program was really in process, like until the last couple of like the last year, like. It was like, are, is this going to work out? So um, that's been, that was, now it seems like it's going to work out. And I only have two more years left. Yay. Uh, <laughs> but um, when I was in that, I just like, you know, exposed to local government. I don't know if you mm. like, are familiar with like Parks and Rec. And yes. Like... Oh, yes. <laughs> well, I get that question a lot. I Do know. You, like, uh, uh, is, how, is your life like Parks and yeah. Rec? And I'm like, kind, kind of that's
1: great um, I love it well that's
0: one of my favorite shows so it's such a good show but, <laughs> but yeah you
1: do have more of a voice I think in local government I mean I think it's just there's so the wheels t- turn really really slowly and the budgets are strange and yeah. big when you're getting into those other agencies yeah. so local government's a nice nice yeah. way to go
2: yeah I mean it's bureaucratic for sure yeah. and uh but I just the the ability to work with communities mm. and to like feel like you you know, not necessarily like making this big difference, but like that you just like, yeah, are saturated in the community that you're you're in. And yeah. so I graduated from um, CU Denver and my first job was a fellowship working for the city of Aspen. Uh, oh, in wow. Colorado. Yeah. Oh, wow. So I was there for nine months. Fancy, I know. Uh, so I was a special projects planner and I mainly worked on with the historic preservation officer there and the senior planner on updating their design guidelines and reviewing development review applications that centered around historic preservation. And then uh, once that finished, I, you know, that really opened my eyes even more to just like how community development and local government like looks at sense of place and how things grow and you know you learn kind of that stuff in grad school but not mm, a
0: ton until you're like action. on the ground yeah yeah when you're actually doing it yeah, that's when you learn it yeah
2: and so then i um went to once that was done i went over to uh i went moved back down to the front range so and i worked for a county uh, outside of the denver area And just did development review applications. But that was, I think, really beneficial and just like understanding what it took to review how, I mean, how development was. I didn't have a lot of historic preservation work there because it was a county and counties don't tend to have as much of like a preservation grasp on because it's just such a larger region. Uh, So I mainly did like development applications and subdivisions. And that was just where I learned, like, plan- as planners, we kind of had to be, like, semi-experts in everything. Mm-hmm. Like, anything from transportation to environmental to social science to how people move through places. how And so just um, – and especially being in the Denver metro area, it's
1: just a lot's happening there. And um, So could you nudge some of the developers into directions or to making decisions that were then – more beneficial to you thought the way traffic would flow or use of a sp- include more green space or something or how much um, ability did you have to help
2: shape? Yeah, that's a great question. I think at- I think that you can, as a planner at that, I was at like the beginning of my profession. So I didn't really know how I didn't really have that experience or felt that I had found my voice to be able to do that. So I kind of just felt like I was a a paper pusher and like Mm -hmm. a little bit of just like a code monkey is what a lot of people who are in the beginning of like being and planning what we call ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but it was good just to like learn that foundation. Um, and nowadays I find that that I can do that and I can do that I've been in the world of planning for eight years like you know it's you find that just with experience um but yeah I knew I was and then also like in Denver and in that area a lot of the planning's been done Mm -hmm. it's been a city for a very long time and I was really tired of the the busyness there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I knew I wanted to switch from back to working for a city. I just mm-hmm. felt that like mm-hmm. the, the, the components of like sense of place and neighborhood development is just more key and more of my interest. Uh, so then I saw a job, I started looking for jobs and I saw that the city of Bozeman was hiring for a planner. And I had only been to Montana once before that I had been to Bozeman for a total of a day, but my partner now wife at the time used to live here and then had just moved from Miss- Missoula to uh Golden, Colorado where we met and she pretty much immediately was like I don't want to live here. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, "Oh, well good. I'm ready to leave too." Yeah. <laughs> so, found this job and then we moved up here and I got the job as the planner, but I was doing yeah, again still develop I was development review, big subdivisions, master site plans, like all of um those just larger developments that's what i was reviewing but i was working a little bit at the time with our historic preservation officer who uh might so my predecessor and got to work with him um, a bit on just some of the projects but not as much as i'd want to so then he left um in 20 yeah spring of 2021 yeah yeah and like Uh, And then I was offered that summer to take over the program. And it was, and I was very excited about it because it's like bringing me back to my roots. Like what brought me to this in general? And then also like Bozeman itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it just like has uh, some. Great architecture just has this really like I, I I don't really like to use the word character. I like to use the word flavor, <laughs> like <laughs> that like the flavor. I, I don't know. It's just like some the components of it that just yeah is a huge reason why people are coming here and right. are drawn here. It's it's yeah. a wonderful place to be. Uh, so we have some good historic flavor. Yeah, we do
1: have some good. <laughs> yeah, so
2: I I'm very excited about yeah developing the program further.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm excited. I know Crystal and I love being able to work downtown. And yeah. We used to work on the campus at the university, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it was always kind of a dream of mine to be able yeah. to have a business downtown, and yeah. then you had offices kind of way out on the frontage road, yeah. and then when you were able to get that historic. Brothel, that house, oh, and then so move in. I mean, I was one of the first people she called because she knew as a board member for sure I was going to be like, "Yeah, we're going to do this house," <laughs> yes. and you knew you so wanted good. to go in, so you're yes. going to get me on board.
0: To, <laughs> I had to get you on board, yeah. <laughs> and then everyone else just kind of yeah. followed along. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, uh, my
2: office is um, behind the federal building on mm-hmm. Black and Olive, mm-hmm. so being able to just just like, be right there. there, yeah. yeah. Been yeah. Really well, it, nice. you really
1: feel part of the heart of the community in a lot of ways, and I, mm-hmm. I bump into people on the street all the time and what I'm doing. So I, I, I think it's one of the things I love about mm-hmm. living here. I mean, I love having the views and everything else, too. Mm-hmm. But I do love our our. Our flavor of our downtown yeah. <laughs> it's sassy yeah. um yeah so tell us a little bit because now you are the historic preservation officer at the city tell us a little bit about kind of broadly what does that mean you're responsible mm-hmm. for and what you have to do but also on that day-to-day basis what does that job actually look Ooh. like what do
2: yeah. you do yeah
0: this is a big question yeah i
2: know, I know. <laughs> uh so i still so i, I- i'm st- Like, still considered a planner, so I still review development review applications. And what the city of Bozeman has is called a Neighborhood Conservation Overlay District. It's this boundary that is based on the 1954 or 57 census, and uh, so kind of considered, like, old Bozeman. And this – what – the Neighborhood Conservation Overlay District, or NCOD. It was created in 1991 after a multi-year effort to survey older parts of Bozeman, which created many of our historic districts we have today. Cooper Park, South Black, Bonton, Main Street. There were nine created between the 1980s and 1990s. And so if you have a property within that boundary, you have to go through um, a planning application, which is called a Certificate of Appropriateness. And this is a common application used across the nation for any jurisdiction that has any sort of preservation ordinance or program. And we have a section in our development review code and some design guidelines that need to be adhered to when we review those applications. So that's something I still kind that I still regularly do, whether it's from um, houses to like larger uh, multi-story buildings in kind of like the downtown area. But that, um, Outside of reviewing development applications, I also continue to work on uh, updating our historic re- historic inventory surveys. So what I said about the 1980s that created a lot of those historic districts, um, a lot of them just kind of stayed there. They hadn't been surveyed again. And what these... Uh, Survey forms do is just history of the property, architectural description of the property, and like what's – is there any sort of tie of significance to it, whether it's a person, a place, an event, um, or the architecture itself. And so uh, we've been over time – Updating those, so that's kind of something that I uh, actually work with Crystal fairly regularly right. on. Yeah. You've been uh, doing some research, yeah, for yeah. The city on that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, and that, so that's uh, a big thing that we that I end up doing. And then also, I work with some classes at MSU a lot. I'm always working to try to find additional partners because as a program of one. A
1: department of one. A department of one, I head it
2: and I staff (laughs) it. Yeah, Yeah, so I'm part of the community development department, and then I'm within the planning division, but then there's only one historic preservation staff. Uh, So uh, right now, what I've been doing is just like, or what I have been doing since taking over is just like trying to gain partnerships and collaborate with people um yeah many that really people. helps yeah you do yeah.
0: what you do and you also have a board that you work with yeah which and, is I was just about yeah, to talk okay, about okay, yeah, okay. yeah yeah so the um history what you're speaking to
2: Crystal is the Historic Preservation Advisory Board or HPAB and HPAB is made of volunteer community members you were amongst was, them for I many was, yeah, for many years <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, I was on the board for yeah. a, couple, a couple not months. not when
2: I was liaison no, but um yeah. Yeah, so we, uh, those community members, uh, their role is to help promote and educate the community on preservation efforts. Uh, in this past year, the city's advisory boards went through a big revamp and kind of had to create a work plan to hold more accountability to what these uh advisory boards do. Mm-hmm. And one of the, uh, and, oh my gosh, I don't even, I can't even begin to tell you how much I love my board. <laughs> and like, they're so passionate about just having an influence on this and putting effort into it because, you
1: know. The, so tell us a yeah. little bit, what is it they actually having an influence on what do they do what do they make decisions about or help to influence
2: so they don't make decisions they've tried to in the past to have more of a voice on development review applications and that has because of like Turnover with the board and then COVID. There just hasn't been a lot of training opportunities to do that. And so the applications they don't review, but what some of the things that they have been uh, working on are revamping uh, the historic preservation awards, which oh, are okay. part of, uh, which used to be. In November, and then they went on a hiatus for a while because everything did during COVID. And then we started it again this past year, so 2022 in May, because na- nationally, May is Historic Preservation Month. Okay. So it was uh, anything from lectures, tours, the awards, uh, things of that nature. Um, and we're going to be doing that again this year. So we're okay. just in the starting process of um, planning that month and then uh they're also working on a fred wilson project uh that will just be looking at getting a comprehensive database of the prod the buildings of fred wilson who was a prominent architect in bozeman's earlier history from like the uh early 1900s to Mm -hmm. 1950s uh and um you're in your uh building one of the buildings buildings and one of the ones that we're going to be looking at (laughs) Great. i'll have to talk to you about that later
1: um and then, We're having a pipe replaced uh, in a couple weeks. If you want to come in and watch, that's gonna maybe, be fun. Maybe, <laughs> right yeah. through the tin ceiling. Oh, yeah.
2: No. Oh, oh, boy. oh. That's gonna be. I hope that doesn't do too much oh. damage. Wait, wait, <laughs>
1: let's move on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyways,
2: I know. You're like, but um, so, but they're volunteer based, and so you know we only meet once a month, and they do only. Uh, you know, I don't want this to be a burden on them. I want to be ex- them to be excited about it. But they're also interested in uh, things in the next year or so of like creating a heritage tree program, oh, doing cool. additional, yeah, additional uh, partnerships with MSU and then also being part of the upcoming preservation policy and local landmark program that you had touched on um, during the intro and then I'll also speak to more later. Uh, but yeah, that's what... So it's a lot of um, managing them. And then when you're saying like the day to day uh, lately, it's just been lots and lots and lots of meetings. I'm in meetings (laughs) a lot because I'm constantly just having like talk people. I mean, I'm still doing my other side. But like right now, uh, it's just been lots of meetings and just um, connecting with people uh, just to start really getting this program um, moving forward. Well, good.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, that's really good. Well, I, you know, I always know you're so busy and you do so much, <laughs> and the, your board is amazing. I've got to um, spend some time with them and meet them, and they, you just, they are a really good group. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I'm so glad that you have a good board that is really doing a lot of, um, is really helping you in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Yeah, they're so, like my staff. Yeah, but. Yeah, they are not, <laughs>
1: but not. <laughs> but they don't get paid. Just yeah. for <laughs> once a month. Yeah.
0: yeah, for once a month. <laughs> um, so I want to talk to you, you know, because um, kind of working. I don't work in historic preservation, but I work in history. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people will ask me about ask me historic preservation questions, and mm-hmm. and so. Um, We get a lot of questions, especially right now in Bozeman. There's a lot of growth and a lot of development. We're going to talk about that a little bit later, but I get a lot of questions about um, people having houses in historic districts and what they can and cannot do to their houses. And so there's this, I, I guess I want to kind of do some myth-busting yeah. with you today, Sarah. <laughs> and because I think it's really important that people know this. And this really, Nancy, comes back to archaeology and archaeological sites as well and public and private property, which, you know, Nancy, you've done so much so much research on that in the past. But um, can you speak to this idea of just for example if a person buys a house in a historic district anywhere in the country can they remodel the house can they make changes to the mm-hmm. house can they tear the house down mm-hmm. and a lot of people think if you buy a house in a historic district you can't do anything mm-hmm. and I, I that is not true yeah. so let's talk Sarah, yes. let's, let's talk, talk, about, talk it.
2: about it the <laughs> myths of historic preservation yes. uh but i'm going to use a common phrase that planners often use it depends Okay. Okay. Uh, Preservation policies are based on the Secretary of Interior standards that are set by the Department of Interior. So federal level stuff. They are quite broad, but it covers restoration, preservation, reconstruction, and uh, rehabilitation. And each of these own standards uh, are based on what you are doing to your building. Uh, At the local level, going back to the It depends on the preservation ordinance. We use the uh, most ordinances use the federal levels as a baseline. But there are some jurisdictions out there that have very, very, very strict guidelines or regulations of what you can actually do um, to a house. In Bozeman, we have regulations, but they don't prevent you from making changes to your building or demolishing. There are places like, I mean. Working in, like, Aspen, yeah. they have very strict ones. Savannah, Georgia, very strict. Like And so uh, it's based on, like, what the community goals are, or what um, the elected officials or any of the ordinance, like, establishes in there. In terms of um, how we review our, our, what changes you can do, uh, we review if the change is appropriate, and I'm using quotations around yeah, this word. <laughs> you can't. Yep. See, the listen. <laughs> the listeners cannot see. Yeah, but that yeah. the, a word appropriate. <laughs> it's very. It's broad right and uh so we subjective it's subjective that's also the word i was looking for thank you (laughs) uh but so we look at what is appropriate to the uh existing structure and the neighborhood surrounding and if you're in a historic district the level of scrutiny is going to be a little bit different than if you aren't and so as i said before we have a conservation overlay district the ncod that uh requires some sort of planning review in order uh before any sort of work is done, any sort of building permit. And we uh, review these uh, plans based on, like, yeah, if it's in a historic district, what's the overall uh, pattern or sense of materials and kind of things like that. But it doesn't mean that you have to, like, freeze it in time. And so, like, traditional preservation that's been around for since the 1960s has a knack of being sort of a, purest and like mm-hmm. kind of freezing things in time
0: yeah
2: and in my professional and personal opinion and as a planner I this this isn't sustainable and it's not realistic mm-hmm. uh, cities and neighborhoods change the only constant is change yeah right. <laughs> and right. uh, being on um, the National Register you know it recognizes a period of significance a person event or a style and that's what it's tying to is just like that specifics so is it is
1: it more difficult or does it require more oversight so i have a couple questions mm-hmm. to make any changes or do something if the house is on the historic register versus if it's just within a historic district
2: Yes and no and it depends.
1: I'm gonna get a little more specific. Okay, okay. yeah. So, I mean, so here's what I'm gonna say is mm-hmm. that I I was a Southsider. I lived on the South mm-hmm. Side um, until I moved I out of town a few years ago. <laughs> and um, you know we did an expansion mm-hmm. on our house when we moved in, as you do, trying to make it work for your family. Mm-hmm. And um, we had uh, an architect and a contractor who were great at figuring out a way to put on what we needed to put Mm -hmm. on so that roof lines and things would Mm complement what was already there. So now my question is, um, who reviews that? Is it just the city? Is it you and your advisory board? Are there other people? Who has to say what Nancy Mahoney is doing with that old colonial house on South Fifth? Mm -hmm. That's okay. Or no, because we also painted it some crazy colors. Yeah, so that's (laughs) great.
2: Well, first, on the painting and the colors, we don't regulate color.
1: Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but we
2: do regulate materials. Okay. So, uh, yeah, when when you're first getting at, like, the historic district or a historic—if something's on the national register, we are going to look at the level of the Secretary of Interior standards, which are all of these kind of, like— guidelines in some sort of way. They don't hold a very like they hold merit if you have it tied to like your code, but it's voluntary. Right. Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, expanding upon your house, exactly what you were talking to is that it's allowed. We just want to make sure that like, yeah, the roof pitches uh, or any sort of addition is subordinate To like the primary, that it's not necessarily like taking away too much from um, the actual structure. So like changes are meant to be aren't uh, are they are meant to be managed,
1: not necessarily prevented. So if our neighbors said, I don't think that do they have a say? don't say sort of no not or. No, what I was saying what I was saying is what I was I know
2: what I was saying is uh, not, not yet yeah, <laughs> not not really uh because I mean you know you can have a neighbor complain about things but until you actually make like a comment and it's based on actual like findings versus just like I don't like that yeah well why don't you like that every I mean design is yeah subjective like what what do you like about or doesn't like you have to like tie it to something that you don't like when we are reviewing these certificate of appropriateness so we have two levels or or two kinds we have the neighborhood certificate of appropriateness which you went through which is just residential we have a commercial certificate of appropriateness which is everything that would be like on main street or um larger bills Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah so the uh certificate of the neighborhood certificate of appropriateness is typically administrative It is me or another planner reviewing it. We look at our development uh, code. The section is 38340 if you
1: want to get real technical. (laughs) If if something was really like, oof, like this person is trying to do it on the cheap and it doesn't work, Mm -hmm. what then do you do? Do you go back to the contractor, the building owner, and try to massage them in mm-hmm. a different direction or do you have the authority to say I'm, i can't issue you this permit or
2: so i don't have the authority the director of community development is the final say
1: oh good you get to pass the buck i can oh, sure. pass the buck <laughs> that's, but that's the kind the, of
2: job i want <laughs> <I, laughs> but um you know we're the reviewers we're the ones okay. who are taking the code and we also have some design guidelines that we have to review of being like what um to determine like what if it adheres to that right and
0: uh so it kind of all comes down to the code it comes
2: down to the code and where i think like and and for us in the city uh with the city of bozeman we've had this program and this code around for a while which has been very helpful but in some cases it hasn't really evolved to things and it changes and it's kind of, I mean... It's... Are we talking about the federal code? Are you
1: saying... Sorry, the, are... city, the, yeah. city, code. the yeah. city. The city code. The city has developed, a developed... its a code and yeah. it and it's based off of then kind of these broader kind, federal standards? Yeah,
2: kind of. Um, at least that section. But you said like
1: Aspen or certain Savannah, certain places have a much stricter code mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. certain areas. So yeah. like for me, when I go to the north side neighborhoods, mm-hmm. right? The south side, north side. Yeah. Northsiders get away with murder, right? Mm-hmm. Like they <laughs> take down whatever yeah. and they put up these super funky interest Awesome, and sometimes it's tight packed in, it covers almost the whole lot. And so, is it because that historic district came about differently? Was were there different people at the city? Yeah. Or like it's just super interesting. But there is that eclectic feel on the north side, mm-hmm. which I love, frankly. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if those northsiders tried to do that on the south side, a lot of southsiders would be like, uh-uh. "Get back on the north side." Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. And these are all like this is the questions I deal with on a very regular basis, especially when reviewing development review applications. And so when uh, the northeast neighborhood yes. is part of the conservation overlay district, but it is not a historic district. Okay. So the historic district, and you're on South Fifth. So were you in the Bonton?
1: South Fifth all the or way. No, I was way down. Oh, by you were the in university. front. So you, yeah. Yep.
2: Okay. So no, I don't think you were in one then. Mm-mm. No, you weren't. Um, and yeah, it, a big frustration was just like, well, this was how it was reviewed then. How is it reviewed now? And that's a constant challenge with being a regulator in of a code and a planner because, like, as, yeah. you know, as cities evolve and change and things are set and policies are set, uh, precedents are set and whatnot. But um, so, yeah, in the Northeast neighborhood
1: are. Because now don't they have some historic district overlay up there? now or for part of it
2: they have the brewery district but it was oh, only okay. for the lurkheim brewery okay. which mm-hmm. no longer is there and then the lurkheim uh mansion and then the little uh single story um structure across, which was just kind of like an industrial warehouse and then a couple of the houses it's very small okay. uh the northeast neighborhood has been a very vocal uh group of wanting to do something to maybe kind of help to regulate some of those changes because that was considered our working class right, neighborhood right. when it was developed. And uh, a lot of these houses, which were smaller because it was our working class development, they were turned down. Or they're being torn down because people want bigger. And so uh, and we, uh, as the code stands now, uh, we have some provisions to prevent that, but they're very minimal. And because we're growing at the speed that we are, another reason why looking at our preservation policy this next year is to make sure that we are recognizing some of these more um, these prominent areas that like stories are being lost. Okay. Okay.
1: All right. Lots of good stuff. We're just going to pause for a minute and take a station break. You are listening to The Dirt on the Past with co-hosts Crystal Alegria and Nancy Mahoney on KGVM Bozeman or wherever you find your podcasts. We are speaking today with Sarah Rosenberg, a Historic Preservation Officer with the city of Bozeman, Montana.
0: Well, Sarah, you answered my question. (laughs) (laughs) Which one? (laughs) but it is complex it's really yeah. it's really mm-hmm. complicated and of course every town in our nation has its own code mm-hmm. and so every place is a little bit different but they all kind of adhere to a certain degree to the national historic preservation or the National Register, mm-hmm. so it's it's interesting, but mm-hmm. yeah, I encourage everyone out there to go and look at their code and see what it looks like because most people don't, and yeah. it is really interesting. And oh, and it's because, always invigorating to read yeah, through. You might need. I'm you being might, sarcastic. You, there, you might you might fall asleep a few times while you're reading. You'll have to have a strong cup of coffee with you. But, but it is. It's really important because that is. is the basis of everything when it comes to historic preservation and, and just what development you can, in general. Yeah, and development but in the, general.
1: But the Basic answer is that is a myth, largely. Yeah, it is a myth, and that you can do things, and that yeah. Right.
2: I mean, it's one Mm -hmm. thing of it's like if you have a historic house and you want to change the windows, and it's this Mm -hmm. Victorian home, and then you have single pane wood windows, and you want to switch into vinyl, we're going to probably say no.
1: Yeah.
2: What can you? But there's other materials out there that can fit and that can still do the same thing. It might not be as cheap as vinyl but we kind of want to make sure of that because also vinyl windows aren't necessarily the greatest in general yeah yeah. but i I, yeah i
0: I digress (laughs) yes yes but yeah i think that's i i think that's Important and it's interesting to know that you know that you can make changes though. You you, can make changes, but yeah, but you can make changes and you can unfortunately tear things down. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, unless you live in Savannah or somewhere like that, yeah, (laughs) but I, you know, I always advocate for a stronger. Um, code when it comes to historic preservation mm-hmm. here in Bozeman because ours is a little weak in mm-hmm. that in those realms but I wanted to ask you a little bit we've talked started talking about growth and mm-hmm. here in Bozeman we've had phenomenal growth over the last 10 10 years or mm-hmm. so and um, that really plays into your job and what you have to deal with on a daily basis because you're always um, having to um, figure out how to move forward with growth so that it works for the city's needs but also works historically for mm-hmm. this flavor this historic flavor of bozeman yeah. i usually say character but i, I, I,
1: I think the i might labor. change to flavor now
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you know and we have because we're growing we have a lot of developers who are proposing de- developments mm-hmm. as they do and that causes a lot of um, problems with our historic districts, because they want to tear historic buildings down, mm-hmm. historic structures down, and replace with new. And so, you know, um, we're losing some of that flavor in mm-hmm. our historic neighborhoods. Not as much in our downtown, which is good, but we are losing some of that. And you know, to me, the the reason that we're having so much of this growth is because people love the look of Bozeman. Mm-hmm. They love that historic downtown that we have, that, this yeah. beautiful mm-hmm. downtown. They love that South Side neighborhood mm-hmm. where you used to live, Nancy. They love the North Side eclectic neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And so if we move forward with developing all these areas and get rid of all this um, historic structures and all this historic flavor, mm-hmm. then where does that leave us? Yeah. So I guess, you know, that's what you have to grapple with every day. So. Yeah, it's
2: true. <laughs> and it's it's a huge challenge, right? And like every growing city across the nation yeah. is, is dealing with this. Um, and I could speak hours upon hours about it, but I don't think we have that time. We don't. <laughs> but but,
0: but it's an overview. Yeah. So like,
2: <laughs> As you uh, alluded to, Crystal, yeah, people are drawn to cities for a variety of reasons, and the ability to move to different places, in my opinion, is wonderful. Uh, I'm for growth, but with this growth, we need to ensure that the health and livelihood of everyone is taken into account, whether it's through housing, employment, health, safety, and cultural heritage. However, the methods, policies, and histories of both planning and historic preservation have not been kind over the years to doing this. We kind of have a weak code, as you were saying. And so, as it stands right now, we do have some regulations to again going to use the quotes prevent change. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if it wasn't for the NCOd and the boundary over the past forty years, the city would probably look even more different. Yeah. So that has kind of, that that's that has been a really great tool, but it has not evolved in the way that zoning and land use has, and also of just like trends, communities, mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. kind of things. Uh, I think that. That is one of the major downfalls of preservation. This is an issue across the nation. And when it started in the 1960s and it has taken a lot of time to get to a place where we are really as a profession starting to kind of push back and question the inclusivity and the benefits of it. Uh, We have really great standards in our codes, but there are also so many contradictions between zoning Like your residential zoning, your commercial zoning, Mm -hmm. your industrial zoning, your allowable uses, the height of your building, the setbacks of your building, the uh, road width, all of those kind of things. But there's a lot of um, contradictions between Uh, that, even in our code. Uh, And balancing this is difficult. Mm -hmm. And constantly as a team, we are in the process of we're we're, like discussing this at staff meetings. I have like the planning division really great team uh always looking to try to evolve some sort of code or it's, i mean the code changing the code is not easy it has to go through a whole public process mm-hmm. and then the city commission our elected officials who make the final say i see yeah. yeah so right now we're actually doing that we're updating our development code so that's going over project design building design uh, transportation pathways, your zoning, your um, allowable uses, like housing, and then um, all of those kind of things. And within that uh, lies the historic preservation section of the code. But that's not part of this overall code development that we're working on because it's kind of its own animal that needs to be zoned in a little bit differently. And that's and like, I'll get into like what that, what, how we're looking at that. And uh, so like how we're looking on updating its policies and revamping the program. And, but like back to your kind of question about like balancing the needs of growth and maintaining historic nature is like, we, we can work with homeowners and developers and this kind of alludes to like some of the things that we were talking about before, uh, but we're allowed. I mean, we're able to work with yeah homeowners, builders, architects, developers to consider a ple- like a plethora of things that we think that would be in the best interest of our community. But we still are a property rights country mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. established on capitalism, mm-hmm. yeah. and so we can only do so much. And we're juggling major issues across the country like affordable housing and growth and gentrification and um, unemployment and walkability and the health and safety and, you know, all sorts of things. And a lot of it is trial and error until you have policies in place that can combat contradictions of these changes and these inequities. And there's only so much,
1: like, there, it's, a, it's a lot yeah. to take I down. I mean, it just, as things are growing and yeah. communities are changing, trying to figure out how to implement the policies that are in place or evolve those policies, mm-hmm. I, I can imagine, as well as maintaining preservation. So that sounds like th- that big, crazy part of your job mm-hmm. that I think would would keep me awake at night. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but I want to get back to, to a part that really uh, captured my attention. Um when we were talking about your your bio and your interests, um, there's this intention to include, basically, stories of, of communities that have been underrepresented mm-hmm. and promote protection of something you're referring to as intangible heritage, which I think sounds very interesting. So please, Sarah, expand on that a bit. How are you moving forward with that goal? Um, why it is that this has become a goal of yours today in the present community
2: yeah uh these are really great questions especially when i was like kind of reading through them Mm -hmm. and i was just like Mm -hmm. i'll be like i was like writing notes and then i was just like finishing up a sentence and i'm like oh that leads right into the next one (laughs) like it's just this really (laughs) great um so uh Intangible, yeah, intangible heritage. Yeah, let's talk about the that. Pos- or okay, but like, like me- you
1: know, there's people out there going, "What the heck?" Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> let me back up just kay. ever so slightly about, you know, just preservation in general. So, we have a national register. We have recognition of these structures or these places, whether they're um, archaeological sites to actual buildings, and. Uh, they've been around and been uh, designated since the 1960s. But, however, less than 10% of the National Register are associated with minority and underrepresented communities. Mm-hmm. Wow. Historic preservation is often tied to the white and wealthy community and doesn't recognize diverse mm-hmm. history. And there is a huge push and this um, uh, to change this. And Bozeman also is a lot more than what it was when it started in 1864 <laughs> like right, it is more right. than just white settlers and main street development and you know extreme history does such a fantastic job about elevating those uh, but um and i feel very fortunate to have that tool to be <laughs> able to help with these efforts but really we have to go beyond the tr- traditional and engage all voices in the hum- community what cultural heritage means to them and we need these stories and memories to ensure that it isn't lost which is what intangible heritage is tangible is actually structures built uh, you know physical things and um, we so some of the things that we have done Is that with using extreme history, we have uh, started to identify houses around town that were owned by underrepresented communities. But what we are needing is we need data. Mm -hmm. We need this information to help create these policy decisions and to develop this program to evolve it, to be able to tell the whole story of our community and our region's transformation. Traditional preservation methods haven't pushed this until more recently, and we need to get outside of what is comfortable and known and engage in the community on promoting local heritage as well as intangible heritage. We need to be asking questions like, what are the stories that haven't been told? And what about these people and places can create healthier communities in which all identities can flourish? Mm -hmm. So that is the things that, like, we're pushing to do this at a national, but it's it's – Kind of slow going. And I mean, I think, but I do think that like with a lot of these other efforts in other sectors is that um, we wish it would have happened 20 years ago or 10 years ago, but at least it's happening now.
1: Yeah, Right. I mean, the whole movement to really look at national monuments and creating different ones than have Mm -hmm. been before, sort of in the last, really beginning with a push under Obama to have urban places, underrepresented Mm -hmm. communities, all of those things be designated national monuments, it seems like it's part of that wider movement to really tell the whole story, Mm -hmm. which is something at Mm -hmm. Extreme History we're so excited about And we need to
2: know our histories. We need to express our... Well, and whole people
1: have been left out and paved over and, yeah. Yeah, and so
2: that intangible heritage is the culture. It's a community. It's experiences. It's a memory. It's nature. It's song. It's the Mm. arts. It's those kind of things. And so not only am I wanting to flourish the intangible of the stories of bozeman as a city but then also of just like what makes mm-hmm. up what has made up our community not mm-hmm. just like again starting in 1864 and mm-hmm. how it's developed as the built environment how is how how did this place become its place and like so with the indigenous community in mm-hmm. our valley the gallatin valley there's just like and we have really great organizations and really great people and with montana state university mm-hmm. and like you know mountain time arts who have just like pushed right. for getting True. these on the set so it's It's really awesome that we are a lot. We're having a platform for those voices, Mm -hmm. but we also need, I mean, but if we want to be doing that um, to actually make sure that it's held accountable, you need policies in place. Going Mm -hmm. back to kind of like indigenous people's day, we need those policies in place. And so the city of Bozeman, which I feel super fortunate for that we have um, city, a city management and directors and a city commission who is actually like Pushing to look, want—I mean, pushing to change uh, and provide resources to develop these policies in realms of equity and inclusion, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Promoting voices, right. it's, it, so it, it's it's it's, it's, great it's a to good have timing. People
1: at the city who who also care about
2: these. Yeah, I would right not be able to be doing you. this if I yeah. wasn't if I wasn't supported. So right. I'm, I feel very fortunate for that.
0: Yeah, I yeah. think so too. Mm-hmm. I think that. Um, we're really lucky right now to have the city commission that we have and mm-hmm. that we have the people in place, the leadership in place with the mm-hmm. city to let you do what yeah. you really want to do. And, and, with the and, and there's going to be there's yeah. going to
2: be like, there's pushers and pulls yeah. for it. There's I mean, like there's a lot of division in, in these topics. It becomes political. It yeah. becomes um, like yeah. Split. And yeah. so and there's going to be mistakes. There really, really is. And I'm not going to agree with a lot of the things and the community not going to agree with a lot of things. But it's just like until we kind of do these trial errors and just start trying to get more of the like getting these identities and voices to be able to speak up and not yeah. get intimidated by yeah. that.
0: Mm-hmm. We're not going to know what works. Right. 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 Yeah. So I love and this is, of course, I love what you're doing um, with this intangible history. And I love, you know, this intangible historic preservation push Mm -hmm. that you're making. Um, But as as you're doing this, um, you know, I think about this a lot because when we work with extreme history, doing walking tours and Mm -hmm. things like that. Um, we try to tell stories, mm-hmm. and it's easier to tell a story if there's a structure Absolutely. to tell the story around, especially yep. on our walking tours. Like if we we, ha- we want to do a walking tour of... Um, let's say, an African-American community, Mm -hmm. but all the houses in this community have been torn down, Mm -hmm. it's really hard to walk down the street and say, well, there used to be a house here that Eva Robinson lived in. And, you know, Eva was this amazing woman because this, this, and this. But you're speaking and you're looking at a place that wasn't hers. Mm -hmm. And so that becomes really difficult. Absolutely. So so, um, I guess I want to push on on this idea a little bit and say, how do we do this? How do Mm -hmm. we do this interpretation? when we don't have the structure if we lose the structure and this is the same thing you know we 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 do this a lot with archaeological Mm -hmm. sites the the building is gone or the structure is gone we have the archaeological remains Mm -hmm. but we have the artifacts which is that tangible piece to speak to Mm -hmm. but if we don't even have the artifacts and if we don't have the structures how do we tell these stories
2: absolutely and I love the tours that you all do, and I agree that, like, when. It's easier to connect with the physical, yeah. with something that you can actually see. If you are able to see, if you have sight and you can put yourself in that um, space and you can touch it, you can experience it, you're going to get a lot more from it than if you just read it on a plaque or see a photo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is why preserving place is so important. And But having that physical place isn't always an option. And we've lost a lot of uh, them. And like urban renewal did a number of these, and we've lost loads of places that are tied to important communities and people and events uh, that they didn't hit the mark for traditional preservation. He mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yep. just quotes a lot. Seriously, using quotes for traditional. Uh, they they were they were destroyed. <laughs> yeah, and so there are loads of techniques that have that do exist, and there are some um, organizations and cities out there that are doing some really great things to elevate uh, the lack of the physical.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, as I kind of alluded to um, th- before is that we're revamping our preservation policies and rebranding our historic preservation uh, program. And with this is going um, to be kind of like looking at like how, again, how, how do we show this intangible heritage? How do we show Uh, this when this doesn't exist and um we're going to be actually looking a lot to our community to help out with this but there's also uh some great examples that cities have been using uh to amplify these stories the voices and recognize the stories is through online maps um signage exhibits passive uh community exhibits where you can kind of see like i don't know even like in front of the um I mean, I know we have the structure there, but in front of the U.S. Bank that's being, uh, I right. know, uh, right. oh, so amazing. good. But they have that, like, that story yeah. along the um, mm-hmm. boardwalk of, like, where it's separating the sidewalk. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's helpful that the structure is there. But how can you do that in other places to recognize that? And then there's also things like cultural exhibits or um uh, storyboards and um, memory centers. How can you tell these stories? Maybe it's not necessarily in that exact place, but you can uh, communicate it in a different yeah. way. Yeah. And I so though there's so many amazing things happening there. And I want like I think Bozeman can have, can get there. It's just yeah, we need to get there.
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> we we have one more that we uh, Crystal and I have often talked about because there's potentially development that's going to go on right next to where the extreme history headquarters are. And oh, yeah. we would really love to promote the idea with mm-hmm. the community, with the with the city commission, with everybody, mm-hmm. that if you are in a historic district and you're making changes, and especially if it's an area where we know that there were... Was something. Especially yes. if it's underrepresented or mm-hmm. anything. I anything. mean, in the red light district where where the the uh, extreme history building is and we know that the the lot next to it that's just a parking lot, when that gets developed we know that was Red Lake District, we know what was there Mm -hmm. from maps. Just to do a week of Mm archaeology, just a couple of test excavations Mm -hmm. to recover artifacts to basically understand, and the owners of the property keep the artifacts, but we would have such a rich history, we could build Mm -hmm. and there would be something tangible. And then the owners could keep those artifacts Mm -hmm. or if they're fragmentary and they don't mind donating them, there could be (laughs) this whole community-wide Exhibit, so we just feel like, and, and in a lot of cases, it it doesn't even have to cost much. It could be things that we um, have local school kids participate in, yeah. you know, just doing little test excavations. Their so we're in yeah, happy yeah. to come and talk to whoever, yeah. whenever, <laughs> about. And really, people are like, really, we can dig in, and so it, I think it's just. It's working with owners of property mm-hmm. and explaining to them that this isn't going to set them back. This is just a small thing. And it's not like we're going to find, we're pretty sure, an Indian burial ground to have the whole bugaboo out there of yeah. what people are no fearing. Yeah. That's not what's going to happen in, in you know these areas that we're talking. But anyway, yeah. I just wanted to throw that in the ring because we love this idea and I just feel like that could be a very powerful way and tangible way. Yeah, yeah. And,
2: and I think uh, that With that project opened, I mean, that was one of my, like, Mm. it was an early on project for me at the city. And uh, that was when I really got connected with, like, looking at these kind of things. Because oftentimes, if you're not trained in that world of, like, history or preservation, and to be to ask these questions or pose these questions or look for these things... It's overlooked. Right. Yeah.
1: People and don't even realize. They people don't even, don't even realize yeah. it.
2: And so and that's and that's just lack of like education and awareness and policy that f- zones in on this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I push back a lot with like developers and creating what we uh, part of these projects of being like, OK, well, if you're doing this. Please try to do this to replicate. So like with the that property, yeah, that exact do property. an archaeological yeah. or with the Deaconess Hospital. Yeah, The Deaconess right. Hospital has been demolished. They salvaged most of the bricks, the columns, the terracotta, the sign, and all sorts of things that then we're now working with them of what we can potentially do to recognize it on the site. The building might not be there anymore, but there are those kind of things where it's like the, that's, the tangible isn't there, mm-hmm. but there can be some sort of recognition mm-hmm. through
1: other yeah. exhibits. There's yeah. descendant communities of all kinds that mm-hmm. care about all those different Absolutely. aspects of what yeah. Bozeman was. And and so, Sarah, really our goal here is to change the World One podcast
0: at <laughs> a time. Yeah. So, yeah. I, 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 I <laughs> wanted to say one more thing, too, about I that know. is that um, we worked with Sarah to... And she was able to, within her, she was the planner on that project that you were talking about, Nancy. And she was able to put language into the planning documents that say that they need to do an archaeological survey prior to development. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a good, um, you know, if you can work, that's a good start. And if you can just get a little bit of language in there, then... When that's developed, that's there, and that really ties yeah. to kind of like what
2: we are trying to do with this program and revamping its policy. So like we yeah. want to bring Bozeman into a people centered preservation program rather than just a place centered preservation. What um, so it's like what can the built environment in our community's history do to help improve people's lives? Uh, people centered preservation it helps bring questions of concern with the community involved, asking those questions. Um, talking to those members, and but how can we provide a space for memory and also allow all identities to be able to experience and teach about their heritage? I mean, think about what yeah. is important to you and who is important to you. Think about a memory that makes you feel connected to your family, home, or culture. Now, we really should ensure that everyone has that. And on top of that, we need to make sure that people are not intimidated by the process and that we need to meet them where they're at. And that's why I'm trying to rebrand and revamp our preservation program and tie it more to cultural heritage and people that make these stories. But then the next level on top of that, of just rather than just like getting the communication, but how we create the policies and a program that ensures that this can be implemented. And it's going to be a lot of work, but I'm here for it. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I good. And I have a great and I have a really great next There's like really awesome. um partners around here and a community that seems um, that I do know that is really engaged. But I'm really, really excited to hear from the communities who haven't been engaged and what is important to them. Uh, so that's that's coming up. <laughs>
0: that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah.
1: yeah. I um, There's so much more. I think in the future, we're just going to be continuing to work together yeah. and there's so much more to discuss. But I think we've put out a lot there that hopefully. Just if those folks in our community can come mm-hmm. across this podcast, I think it'll answer questions and then it'll help them know yeah. ways that they can get involved. Yeah. Um, so we're just going to put a, a link to where your house is and people just
0: stop. <laughs> 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 No, we won't no. do that. <laughs> so, Sarah, we've,
1: we've run out of time yeah. and we just want to thank you so much for. Um, All of the information you brought with us today, the energy you bring Mm -hmm. to your job and to this community. um, And if people want to learn more about um, historic preservation, how it's evolving, stuff about our community, any of that in general, um, we will have links to books, articles, and websites um, that you uh, will, you're gonna, you and Crystal kind of have that as part of the link. Uh, that you can find online. Yeah. And yeah, we're just so grateful. Yeah, Thank you.
2: Lo- yeah, Absolutely. I'm very happy to have done this because I think it's just like the education. I mean, education or knowledge is power. And so it's like yeah. being able to know more about this. And it can be very intimidating to try to figure out how to, to even go about doing something like this, especially even getting involved or understanding what local government does. Like, local government's not scary. And like, the. We are bo- <laughs> local government. Local government <laughs> we are is local you, for, Yeah, right? local like, government it's, it's is all you. all of us. Yeah, so, exactly. local government is us. And yeah. like, yeah and so there's a lot of opportunities that i will be reaching out like that will be kicking off this preservation policy and program in april it's going to be happening over the probably the next 18 months we have a great website called engage bozeman that um is our community engagement platform that has all of the projects the city is working on and this is a great way to stay engaged we have a historic preservation page on the city of bozeman website and um We'll also be, you know, having events and kickoffs of preservation month in May. So there's um all sorts of ways to just kind of like get plugged in if you're interested. Uh, but then also you can reach out to me directly and uh, I mean I'm sure email or something yeah. can be posted on yeah. <laughs> the the web <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I'm very I'm happy to connect. I'm happy to have these conversations. I think they're uh very important to um as our city continues to
0: grow and evolve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love the idea of of how open you are and how engaged the city is to talking with the community right now because we are the, our local yeah, government. We we're are. our state yeah. government. Yep. Um, and we're our national government. Yeah. We, we are that. Yep. So it's important to uh, make the changes that we want to see. Absolutely. Again,
2: knowledge is power. Right,
0: exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sarah. It was so great to have this conversation today. And maybe I we'll have it. you back in May during Preservation Month or maybe we'll um, be talking more about what the preservation plan looks like in the future because that would be wonderful too. I would be happy to come back. Wonderful, (laughs) wonderful.
1: Well, thank you, Sarah, and thanks to all of our listeners out there for joining us today. If you love this podcast, please tell a friend and make sure to subscribe so it shows up on your podcast feed. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And thanks for listening today, and we hope you can join us again to find out more about The The Dirt dirt on the past.
0: Past. And I just wanted to say a big thank you to our editor Steve Durbin. Steve is um, is is we're ch- we've kind of changed over to work with KGLT now, so Steve said he would still help us, but he's not going to be our main editor anymore. And we just wanted to give him a big Yay, thank you.
1: Steve, yeah, uh, he's been amazing.
0: He, he's helped us for the last two years, so we're so grateful to him. But I also wanted to thank um, Lawson Alegria for mixing the music, John Chadwell for helping us get the podcast out in the world, and I do want to say a big shout out to Drake Pinnell and Sierra Thomas for their help now. So they're going to be helping us a little bit more here in the KGLT studios, so um, thanks to them.